0: Hey
1: everybody, how's it going? This is Hub with your morning drive time. Sorry, just wanted to see if I could do that. Hello everybody, this is Hub and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up The Defense. As I believe I've mentioned a couple times now, my name is Hub and I hope you're having a fine time whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling vindicated but confused, I guess. You see, I sometimes worry that my references to The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh or the comic book Lady Cop are too dated or obscure and don't really land with people. I don't worry about it a ton, but I do worry about it. Then, last week, Saturday Night Live did a five-minute sketch that was a line-by-line parody of Orange Juice Jones's 1986 song, the rain. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Tune in next week for my deep dive into Sir mix B-side, Cake Boy. Actually, I think I maybe already did that. And much like Orange Juice Jones's The Rain, I don't think that song would benefit from parody because if you tried to make fun of it and do a different version of it, you would end up with something less weird than the original song. So, tell you what, let's just talk about comic books instead. I hope it's not too much of a spoiler, but I noticed Beast Boy doesn't change into a dinosaur in this issue. And then I started looking back on some recent issues, and it's been kind of a while since Gar has turned into a dinosaur, which... He used to do all the time. I'm starting to get worried. You guys, I think Gar Logan might have a reptile dysfunction. Boom! All right, stay tuned for Dave with Weather. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Lucas Brown, host of the delightful show, The Math of You, which you should check out. Mocking Billy Rosenberg, a thin cop, diss. Axel Foley talked his way into a synopsis. Synopsis. New Teen Titans, number 34. August, 1983. Endings and Beginnings. Written by Marv Wolfman, draughted by George Perez, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Todd Klein, coloreded by Adrian Roy, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call, Terra, Starfire, Cyborg, Raven, Beast Boy, Wonder Girl, Robin, and Kid Flash. Previously in the New Teen Titans. In one of their earliest adventures, our heroes ran afoul of a supervillainous assassin named Deathstroke the Terminator, who uses 90% of his brain, but only 50% of his eyeballs. The depth-perception disadvantaged do-batter took on a contract to terminate the Teen Titans, one which he has nearly fulfilled the terms of on several occasions. More recently, it's been a tumultuous time for our titular teens. The team's most recent recruit, a brash young earth-bending orphan named Terra, has been acting like a jerk. The diminutive dirt distributor's distraught demeanor was due to the distrust of her new teammates who refused to accept her as a full member of the Titans and reveal their secret identities to her. Which I guess means that the Titans have been trying to maintain their secret identities. Good to know. But the earth-altering urchin wasn't alone in her angst. Cyborg just found out that his definitely not girlfriend, Sarah Sims, has a fiancé named Mark, who wears a basketball jersey over his turtleneck and tucks both shirts into his slacks. Vic was upset both at Mark's fashion choices and the fact that Sarah had apparently been engaged for over a year and not informed him. Speaking of potential engagements, Wonder Girl's professorial romantic partner, divorcee dad Terry Long, proposed marriage to his teenage lover. The Amazonian adolescent responded with a resounding... Um, can I get back to you on that? Hooray! And while we're on the topic of indecisive teens, for the last ten issues or so, Kid Flash has been going back and forth on whether or not he wants to quit the superhero business. The tentative teen super speed waffling was kicked into high gear when Raven, under the influence of the fear-inducing supervillain phobia, unwittingly attacked the speedster. Due to the combination of the unintentional assault and her repeated refusals to date the vacillating vigilante, Wally decided that Raven was probably evil. What a dick. And since we're talking about dicks, Dick Grayson, aka Robin, has been acting particularly appropriately named as of late. The colorfully clad crime fighter has been rude and dismissive to his rad space princess girlfriend Starfire, and like Wally, has been questioning whether he should quit the Titans. To make matters worse, the conflicted crusader recently learned that his adopted dad, Batman, has been mentoring a new orphaned teen. Feeling jilted, the belligerent boy wonder sought solace in the crime-fighting company of a different obsessed older man, world's worst district attorney, Adrian Chase. The two crime-hating cronies consummated their May-December bromance by bursting through the window of mob boss Anthony Scarapelli's dining room window, Kool-Aid man style. GADZOOKS! Will Terra continue to be one of the few individuals in the DCU not privy to the Titans' inconsistently maintained civilian identities? Should Wally just go ahead and buy a saddle for that fence he's been riding for almost a year? And have we seen the last of Deathstroke, the superpowered assassin as single-minded as he is single-eyed? Stay tuned to find out! Okay, so... apparently not. Apparently not. And, no, of course not. That's not how these previously-on things work. Although, maybe I should throw in a red herring in there sometime just to keep you guys guessing. Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, see, what did I tell you, is chilling in his lavishly appointed new penthouse apartment, bragging to his dapper assistant Wintergreen about how he is super good at business and stocks and assassinating and being classy. He brings up the fact that the one mission he hasn't succeeded at yet is murdering the Teen Titans but he's going to get around to that pretty soon. Wintergreen asks if his employer wants to put on his fancy blue and orange costume, which is a fair question, because the dude has been standing around in his underpants the whole time they've been talking. Slade agrees that, yeah, that's probably a pretty good idea. Then he looks at some old black and white photos of himself with a woman named Adeline and thinks out loud that she was neat. Wintergreen agrees. Meanwhile, Across town in a familiar T-shaped skyscraper, Terra is moping about how she thinks the other Titans don't really accept her or trust her enough to reveal their secret identities to her. Okay, so on the one hand, I can kind of see where she's coming from. I mean, they seem to let pretty much everybody else know within the first few minutes of meeting them, so to be excluded from that not-at-all-exclusive club has got to kind of sting. But, on the other hand, if it bothers her that much... She could probably work out at least most of them on her own. I mean, Garvik and Raven don't even make a pretext of concealing their alter egos. Donna doesn't wear a mask and is constantly talking about her private life, both during battles and on the plane rides to and from the battles. Starfire is a golden-skinned alien princess with an enormous mane of bright red hair made out of magical space fire. An eagle-eyed observer might notice that despite her seemingly impenetrable disguise of occasionally wearing sunglasses, Princess Coriander bears more than a passing resemblance to the golden-skinned, magical space-fire-hair-having, high-profile fashion model, Corey Anders. Seems like that might be at least worth looking into. I figure, seeing as how she already knows or should know five of the other seven Titans IDs, and they all hang out together all the time, figuring out the other two should be about the same level of difficulty as a crossword puzzle clue. And I'm talking like a Monday puzzle in a local paper. But apparently Terra isn't a big fan of puzzles, so she sits in the tower and she mopes. Fair enough. The mop-topped malcontent is startled from her mopery by her new teammates busting into her room with a cake, singing happy birthday to her. Hmm. Let's see if my deductive reasoning powers are on par with Tara's. Certain clues would seem to indicate that it just might be Tara's birthday. Also, media darling and superstar jeans model Corey Anders is actually Spider-Man. No? Oh well, I was half right. It's Tara's 16th birthday. Hooray! The geologically inclined adolescent blows out her candles and appears genuinely moved by the Titan's gesture. For about 15 seconds. Then she goes back to berating her baked good bearing buddies about not telling her all their secrets. Sheesh. I know what somebody needs for their birthday. A new record. Because you sound like yours is broken, Tara. Sick burn. Did I just have a stroke? Because I smell toast. The birthday girl tries to play the orphan card on her teammates, but noted grief counseling phenom Donna Troy is on the case, and it's all, yeah, yeah, orphan, we get it, but that was like two months ago. Get over it. Between Donna's tough love and the fact that the eight members of the Titans have a whopping five living parents between them, and one of those five is a genocidal extra-dimensional demon, Tarot doesn't exactly get the sympathy she was hoping for tough room. Donna excuses herself from further therapeutic duty, telling the gang that she has a date with Terry and intends to finally give an answer to the permed professor's proffered proposal. On her way out of the tower, Wonder Girl bumps into Kid Flash, who has been brooding in the next room. Donna asks the sulking speedster why he didn't walk the few feet into the adjoining room to join the party and wish his young co-worker a happy birthday. The rapid recluse has a ready answer. He didn't feel like it. Fair enough. The crime-fighting curmudgeon continues that he has finally reached a decision. He's going to quit the Teen Titans. I kind of hate to say it, but... Hooray! I mean, i love the old Wally, but pretty much since the beginning of the new Teen Titans run, Wallace West has been a real prick. Meanwhile, on Long Island, Robin and world's worst district attorney Adrian Chase have just busted through Anthony Scarapelli's window and started punching and kicking the shit out of everyone they encounter. You know like a district attorney does. Chase pulls a gun on Scarapelli, and the terrified homeowner pulls out a firearm of his own to defend himself against the unprovoked assault from the deranged civil servant who has invaded his property. Robin intervenes and throws a battering, which effectively disarms both combatants, at which point Chase reveals that he has a search warrant for unlicensed firearms, like the one the terrified criminal has just pointed at him. The mortified mafioso interjects that as a district attorney, Adrian Chase isn't authorized to make arrests. So, at least one of them knows what a district attorney's job is. Chase is like, Oh yeah? Well that's why I brought a mass teenage boy with me. He is legally deputized to, uh, do pretty much whatever, I guess. Everyone begrudgingly agrees that that is indeed the way the law works. Wait, it is? Wow. The DCU has a really weird version of due process. Robin makes the, again, perfectly legal arrest, but doesn't feel super great about it. He hadn't been privy to Chase's plan, and feels used and betrayed. Which kind of begs the question, what did he think was going to happen? Did Robin just assume that Chase was a cop in his spare time? Did he tell Dick they were going out for ice cream, and then he took him to the vigilante home invasion instead? I bet Batman used to do that shit all the time. No wonder Dick was drawn to this asshole. Speaking of dicks and assholes... (laughs) Sorry. Over on Wall Street, Deathstroke is about to set his latest evil scheme into motion. Just what nefarious deed is the complimentary color-clad criminal contemplating? He is stalking a Wall Street stockbroker with apparently lethal intent. Oh, is that all? I mean, murder's bad and all, but eh, carry on. Across town at a surprisingly swanky city community college, Terry Long is dismissing his students at the end of his history class. A pretty young student named Sally starts hitting on the bearded professor and asking about private lessons. Gross. Also, probably the name of a Cinemax After Dark movie. To his credit, Terry appears to be declining the unsubtle overtures when they are interrupted by Donna's arrival. Professor Long notices immediately that the previously non-committal native of Paradise Island is wearing the engagement ring he gave her. Donna confirms that she is accepting his marriage proposal, and the two go to Central Park to make out. Back at the Titan Tower, Tara delivers an ultimatum to the team. If they don't accept her as a full member and reveal all their secrets to her within a week, she is out of there. Then she bursts into tears. And since Donna isn't around to administer her high school soccer coach-style comforting of telling her to walk it off, everyone just kind of wanders away awkwardly. Wow. I've always heard the Titans refer to themselves as a family, but this is the first time I think they've really seemed like one. Beast Boy is spared any further uncomfortable exchanges when the phone rings. It is Cyborg's definitely not girlfriend, Sarah Sims. Sarah asks to speak to Vic, but Vic is acting like a stupid baby, and refuses to talk to her because he found out she's engaged. Boo! When Sarah hangs up, we learn that Mark, the dude who wore a basketball jersey over his turtleneck and tucked both shirts into his slacks, who introduced himself to Vic as Sarah's fiancé a couple of issues ago, may be guilty of worse transgressions than his previously discussed fashion missteps. How is that even possible? Well... It turns out Sarah broke off their engagement over a year ago, and that Mark is an abusive, delusional prick who is obsessed with Sarah and has started stalking her. Also, he's a racist. And in addition to that, there is that whole turtleneck thing. Mark tries to get handsy with Miss Sims, so Sarah knees him in the balls, and Uncle Phil-style literally throws him out of her apartment into the hallway. Hooray! At the Titan Tower... Beast Boy, who is apparently the team's unofficial receptionist, takes another call. This time, it is a FaceTime call from Deathstroke the Terminator, who has hacked into the Titans' viewscreen. Slade informs the Emerald Adolescent that he has kidnapped the stockbroker he was following earlier, and unless the Titans give themselves up and allow themselves to be murdered, the world will find itself with one less Wall Street employee. I mean, again, eh. Beast Boy starts making some empty threats to the viewscreen, But then, Terra does two things in a last-ditch attempt to ingratiate herself to the Titans and finally earn their respect. First, she sucker-punches Gar in the back of the head and knocks him out. Hooray! Then, she hops onto one of those giant dirt frisbees she likes to fly around on and heads off to fight Deathstroke by herself. A few minutes later, the literally groundbreaking young hero... Kool-Aid mans her way through the wall of the office where Slade Wilson is holding his hostage and starts earth-bending up a storm. She and the assassin fight to a standstill for a few pages, but then the swashbuckling super-assassin flings some sort of exploding projectile and the terraforming team tumbles off of a building. Oops. Fortunately, just at that moment, the rest of the Titans show up, and Kid Flash makes one of those reverse tornado things to gently lower the plummeting birthday girl to the ground. The tide seems to be turning in our protagonist's favor when Deathstroke notices that Wally seems a little distracted and is kind of half-assing it. The colorfully costumed hitman, who always uses at least 90% of his ass, snags the struggling speedster and informs the other teens that unless they give themselves up, their fleet-footed friend has done his last implausible super-speed-related nonsense thing. Eh, he had a good run. Ooh, get it? Because he runs fast? That was actually unintentional. I was just trying to convey my indifference to the murder of a heroic fictional teenager. Man, when I put it like that, I don't come off looking great. Things seem pretty grim for the good guys, which, judging from my recent comments, I might not be one of, when Tara intervenes. She makes one of those giant dirt fists she does, and uses it to grab the death-dealing douche, freeing Kid Flash in the process. Hooray! Deathstroke is trapped, buried up to his neck in Dirt Fist. He says some uncharacteristically complimentary things about Terra's prowess, then makes a big explosion and escapes. Terra is upset that the supervillain escaped, but the rest of the team gathers around her and showers her with praise, instantly and unanimously declaring that she is now a full member of the team with all rights and privileges pertaining thereto. They announce their intention to tell the inquisitive earth-moving urchin all of their secrets first thing tomorrow morning. With a tear in her eye, Tara slowly walks away, telling her teammates that she is overwhelmed and needs to be alone for a minute. Aww. Then we get an epilogue. Later that night Tara returns to the dingy apartment where she was once held captive by terrorist kidnappers. Once there, she meets up with a shadowy stranger. A shadowy stranger who uses ninety percent of his stealthiness to arrive at the apartment undetected. That's right. Tara has been working as an undercover agent of Deathstroke the Terminator this entire time, and now these unlikely partners have the Teen Titans right where they want them. Then we get another epilogue. At Adrian Chase's Manhattan apartment, Robin, and the world's worst district attorney, are having a spat. Robin feels that Chase has been acting like an obsessed maniac who has been taking the law into his own hands. Harsh words coming from a guy who worked with Batman for like the last ten years. Chase tells the young crime fighter not to get his chainmail panties in a bunch, but Robin has had enough and storms out. Hooray! Adrian's wife Doris tells the terrible district attorney that she's worried about him, but he tells her to calm down. Everything's gonna be just fine forever, and he's never gonna let anything bad happen to them. Well, that doesn't sound ominous. Doris is soothed by Adrian's fate-tempting words of comfort. She tells him that his Uncle Arthur sent their son a creepy clown statue, so she put it in the kid's room. Adrian's like, I don't have an Uncle Arthur. Then their apartment explodes into an enormous, horrifying ball of fiery death. Well, shit. Man, that issue ended on a couple of bummers. Let's all just take a minute and think back about that really funny joke I made at Beast Boy's expense about him having... A reptile dysfunction, because he couldn't turn into a dinosaur. <laughs> a reptile dysfunction. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you? I am also doing well. Now, Cory, you may be wondering, why have I pulled my hair back into a shitty ponytail for our recording today? I was. I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm
0: curious to know why. Corey. Yep. I've been a villain this whole time. Oh, that explains it. Okay, okay. (laughs) Oh, disappointed. Oh, Eh, could be worse. Mm. I considered when I shaved this
1: morning, leaving myself a soul patch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so like I'm saying, it could have been worse. It's always the case. Yeah, unless you actually have a soul patch and a shitty ponytail. Oof. So patch, I think, is pretty much just a Hitler mustache that's migrated
0: slightly. Mm-hmm. So, what'd you think of the issue? As always, supremely executed, draughted beautifully, nice to see the Terminator, sort of. Yeah, I thought it was okay.
1: Were you surprised at the reveal that Terra has been working with Deathstroke this whole time? I really was surprised. I didn't see it coming. I mean, I knew it was coming. I was trying hard not to spoil it for you for the past several months. Wow, good job. Thank you. I talked about it some on Twitter, but I know you're not on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, I don't read tweets. That's a good call. Mm. So you were surprised? What do you think of this development? I don't like it.
0: It (laughs) It's like a pie made out of
1: steel and I do not like it. Hmm. I can understand that. I think it has been pretty well done up until this point. And I think this issue specifically did a nice job of character development of the character that Terra is pretending to be. Like when she's sitting there being bummed out and shit about how the Titans won't accept her. This is the first time where I felt like that motivation felt... Burned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: like where it's just like yeah it does suck for her that like the other titans won't tell her makes her feel like she isn't part of their community and
0: then when you get the flip at the end i thought pretty good yeah though some part of me wonders if we hadn't been exposed once again to the donna troy school of grief counseling <laughs> if maybe they could have turned her towards the good side because as part of this character development she's like you know, my parents were killed and I had to live with Terrace And Donna's like, yeah, so what? <laughs> pretty much.
1: Although Donna does raise kind of a point where Terra is like, it's you guys don't know what it's like. See, my parents were killed and I'm an orphan. It's like, yep, that's pretty much all of us except for Starfire, who can never see her parents again, and Wally, who's quitting the team. I guess Raven's only half an orphan because her dad's not dead. But... Also not the best dad in the world, in that he's a genocidal demon who lives inside her tummy. All fair points, yet. Yeah, the way that she phrases it is awkward. I feel like they probably went through a back and forth where it was truncated to save time in the comics. Mm. But it was, you guys don't understand what it's like to have your parents be killed. And they're all like, uh, yeah we do. And... And she was like, um, and then I had to live with terrorists for a while. Starfire is like, yeah, and? And then Tara probably said, and at my birthday party just now, Beast Boy didn't turn into a chimpanzee and get in a clown suit and dance around. And then they're probably like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. You're right. We haven't made you feel welcome. You've been through so much.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah, I did get the sense they were doing a round robin of what was me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I actually really enjoyed that, but it was absolutely revisiting Donna Troy's School of Grief Counseling, and you see that the rest of the Titans have started attending her lessons. Mm -hmm. Let's just take a look at that actual dialogue for a second. So Tara says, look, you gotta remember what I've gone through this past couple of years, and Donna cuts her off and says, yeah, we know your parents were killed, but that's not unique in this group. She's like, okay, maybe not, but how many of you lived with terrorists, and... Starfire's like, I was a slave for almost five years. And Raven's like, Tara, we've all been through some shit. Mm -hmm. And yeah, basically everybody just kind of piles on her. And Vic's like, yep, life sucks. You got to roll with the blows, man. Mm -hmm. But I actually really enjoyed that scene a lot. And it is remarkably consistent that that is Donna Troy's reaction to people that are experiencing grief and loss is, yeah, okay, but that was a while ago. It's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. so i thought that was pretty fun yeah i think maybe if they had treated her with slightly kidder gloves then maybe they could have uh switched around but who knows maybe there's still time i don't know she never never got got a birthday cake before yeah it's a pretty sweet birthday cake and you do see that when she shows up to the apartment the captioning work does say that she is morose so Mm -hmm. she's feeling something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mm-hmm struggle yeah Which is good Yes, it's good to feel struggle. That's not the only twist we get at the end. Because after that reveal, we get the fact that Adrian Chase has his house blow up as soon as Robin leaves. Because, apparently, a stranger sent us a creepy clown. I'll put it in our child's room. Clown bombs. Yep. Every goddamn
0: time. Don't accept clowns. Into your life or heart. Don't do it. Yeah. Next thing you know, your kid's... (laughs) Room is blown up. Yeah, and probably.
1: I mean, I can't believe the family made that made it out of that unscathed. That would be a stretch. Yeah. So tough exit for the Chase family. Damn it, Adrian Chase. Don't bring your family into things. Uh, damn it, Adrian Chase. Don't do anything that you do. He does a bad job. He's the fucking worst. Like, he's a district attorney. Why was he on a goddamn stakeout, busting into a dude's house to begin with? Justice. Okay. Have you ever seen Law and Order? Sure. At the beginning, like the opening 15 seconds, they need to sit down and show that to Adrian Chase. There's two branches, the people who catch the criminals and the people who prosecute them. They are different. You can't be Sam Waterston and Jerry Orbach. You have to choose. He decided long time ago that he's Sam Waterston. Now he's trying to go out there and Jerry Orbach it up, and it's not cool, man. It's a tough choice. It is. Although, if he was illustrated as being Sam Waterston, I would be kind of into it. I'd be a little more forgiving. Of <laughs> Sam Waterston just... busted through a window. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. But he's not Sam Waterston, and he needs to learn to live with that. Not by a long shot. Yeah, he's definitely not Jerry Arbach.
0: No way, man.
1: So, fucking grow up, dude. Thumbs down. Yeah. The thought process that apparently is going on with that dude is, Okay, we busted this guy. We did everything by the book. And then he got off on a technicality. So, I'm going to arrest him again, but on a lesser charge, making way more mistakes, and playing fast and loose with the law. No way he'll get off on a technicality this time. That's just dumb. Yeah? Dumb old Adrian Chase. Nope. I hate him.
0: Not good. I'm sorry about his family. It's his fault. Yeah. I'm sorry about his family, too. (laughs) Even though it's his fault. Yeah. Poor
1: nameless kid. Did the kid have a name? I don't remember. I don't remember the kid's name. I don't remember his wife's name. They did not get a lot of character development.
0: Nope.
1: Just a creepy clown. I don't think either of them was a creepy clown. No, no. Just a bomb. Yeah, from his Uncle Arthur. He's like, I don't have an Uncle Arthur.
0: Get down! Maybe
1: you shouldn't have put a creepy clown that a stranger sent in our child's room. Smartest thing he said, if he said it. He probably said it with his eyes. In the last few seconds before his fancy apartment blew up. Bad job. Boo. Bad job all around. I'm sure it feels cool to dress up like a dock worker and Kool-Aid man your way through a window and start punching thugs. Look, we all like to do that. We were all young once. Mm -hmm. But when you're a district attorney... You have to act more like Sam Waterston. You have an obligation to the law, you would think. Mm-hmm. You should. Mm-hmm. But man, he hates the law almost as much as he hates crime. He's a jerk. Yep. When he has to do a crime to stop a crime. Then you become a crime and all. That's right. Let's talk about Tara's birthday party. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a weird birthday party. It's a surprise. It was a surprise party. Everybody shows up. Everybody starts singing Happy Birthday to her, Mm -hmm. except Gar, who starts singing Good Evening, Friends.
0: Which I didn't quite get. What was that about?
1: I don't know what the reference is. All I can figure is that while everyone else sang Happy Birthday, he sang a song by Johnny Ray called Good Evening, Friends, Hmm. which uh, is an interesting choice. My other possible thought is that at the time, the song Happy Birthday was still copyrighted by Mildred and Patty Hill. Just this last year, I think, it became public domain. Like, the copyright elapsed on it. So that's, like, why when you go to, like, fancy restaurants, they have to sing up their happy, happy birthday, 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 happy, happy.
0: Oh, God, I had to do that. You did? Yeah. Where? My first table's waiting job at the old spaghetti factory. Oh, no. Happy birthday to you. Woo! Now... They put in a big woo. Oh, boy, that's terrible. I have some follow-up
1: questions. (laughs) Okay.
0: I'm not a great singer, Do you think that
1: oh cory i mean you're no america's songbird <laughs> that's true that is true but you, it's you, tough. you do a good job Not oh you're nice i mean you said you just said that woo real nice yeah i can do that now did this factory was it an old factory that made spaghetti or was it a factory that made only old spaghetti it was neither a factory of either sort which do you think they were trying to evoke with their name
0: the former, I think, like, the idea of, like, like it's, oh, it's this, an old factory. It's an old
1: factory that got shut down years ago. And then we found it in an abandoned <laughs> factory it's, sale and just started making new spaghetti in it. It makes no damn sense, either. The name it's, makes no sense. the dumbest, like, if you're trying to evoke, like, old worldly charm, maybe leave the word factory out of it. yeah.
0: It was a disappointing Do you experience. think they were trying to perhaps evoke the frivolity of a Play-Doh fun factory? No, because it's made to be all fancy-ish inside. And <laughs> there's even a room in the back called the Tiffany Room. What? Where there is fancy glass. Did you have
1: to give lap dances?
0: Spaghetti lap dances? Oh, like the champagne. Like the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's no touching. So you it's can't a, touch the spaghetti. You, you can't touch the spaghetti. The spaghetti can t- only touch you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So it's not, it wasn't that bad. Uh,
1: That's good. (laughs) Tips are okay. (laughs) Uh, Oh my. But yeah, so I'm wondering if maybe they were trying to circumvent copyright infringement. If like, well, maybe, okay, we already illustrated that everyone in the background is singing the actual lyrics to Happy Birthday. If we add Beast Boy singing a solo from a different song, can we circumvent the law that way? Or at least introduce a plausible deniability. Oh man. Beast Boys playing Adrian Chase style, fast and loose with copyright law. Oh, shit. Yeah, so that was weird. But the follow up to the birthday party, the other thing that was weird about it was just the timing of her being morose. Because. Oh, she see, started morose. No, she started morose. She is moved to tears by the introduction of a cake. The caption says, Festivities continue. Then, finally. We see Gar saying, hey, that was great. You're one of us. She's like, yeah, then how come I don't have my own chair in the meeting room and you don't tell me your secret identities? The weird thing about the timing there is Donna brings in the cake. She blows out the candles. the fest- And the panel that it says, the festivities continue. Then finally, you just see Donna taking away the cake with the candles still smoking on it. Mm-hmm. So either that just lasted seconds or... During the entire thing of the festivities, they just kept relighting and then blowing out more candles. I think canonically it has been established that the Titans are bad at parties. Mm-hmm. So I think this may just be like, well, we got as far as you blow out the candles and that was moving. And then they just kept relighting and having her blow out the candles again. And maybe that's why she's fed up with them. Maybe so.
0: There is a I, lot I of smoke. I think you mean maybe so. Oh, that's true. While we're on this page, do you want to talk about the ad on the following page oh for predator high-tech bmx accessories so i had a schwinn predator you when did I was a kid it was an awesome bmx bike oh man but the thing i wanted to point out that I never noticed before was the resemblance between the predator of the the bicycle company and the monster from the Predator the, the movie that come out like four years after this yeah. and i thought to myself I wonder if some movie producer person cut
1: out all of the scenes featuring BMX bikes in the movie Predator I wondered the same thing it could have been so cool <laughs> it could have been so rad it was still pretty cool It
0: was a fun movie.
1: Yeah I think that was the first movie that even when I saw it, I was like, this is kind of bad and dumb, but I like it. Mm. And I watched it again recently and had a very similar reaction to it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that may have been the first movie that I recognized as being kind of dumb, but enjoyed anyway.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that the one where, like, at the beginning, there's the scene where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers are, they clasp hands, and it's like That is definitely Predator, yes. Like where they up. have their, yes, bicep
1: buddies. Yeah. Like, we can both flex pretty good.
0: Let's remember... be tough and then laugh, and we love each other. But then there's tension after that. Yep. I remember as a kid seeing that and being like, oh, this is... This is not good. (laughs) This is silly. I remember being very excited to see Jesse Ventura
1: show up in that movie as a kid. And he gives his weird little speech about like, This stuff will turn you into a sexual tyrannosaurus. Was he talking about his chewing tobacco? Uh, I think he had some kind of like gas station horny goat weed like drink that he had. Oh. That he liked to use. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't get a ton of screen time in that, but, like, that always stood out to me. And also just the phrase, sexual Tyrannosaurus. Is that even a good thing? Tyrannosaurs are known for a lot of things, but their raw sexuality wasn't something that I had ever associated with that
0: particular Thunder yeah. Lizard. Gives you really tiny arms. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Jesse the Body Ventura's line from that movie... Dug in like an Alabama tick. Hmm. Talking about, I don't know, bullets that were stuck in a tree or something. Oh, I thought maybe
1: that was what they were saying that like the whatever rebel group they were
0: trying to oust was... Maybe that's it. I don't know. I remember though also as a kid thinking, oh, I don't want to go to Alabama. That sounds bad. (laughs) Yeah. Regular ticks are gross enough.
1: I think I've thought that at many points throughout (laughs) my life. No offense, Alabama. I have recently heard some good things about the city of Birmingham having like a big city feel but small town like friendliness and sensibilities or something sounds pretty good man they should hire you yeah as a publicist yeah man okay give me that job I'll be dug in like an Alabama tick (laughs) (laughs) oh maybe using phrases like that
0: would hurt my chances of being hired oh well Wally yeah what a douchebag man people don't turn 16 every day it was literally said to him that people don't turn 16 every day. Why don't you come join the party? He's She's like, like, I don't want to. Just... It's all the way in that other room. I'm just thinking about things. She's like, oh, you're having trouble making up your mind. He's like, no, I made it up. <laughs>
1: you're totally right, but honestly, I was just so relieved that he finally made a goddamn decision. I mean, dude has a bad case of white picket ass from sitting on that goddamn fence for so long. <laughs> So I'm like, hey, hey, good for you, Wally. You finally made a goddamn decision. So he's going to leave the team. He doesn't want to be a superhero. Okay. I mean, he pretty much started leaning that direction like 16 issues ago or so. I'm just glad it's coming to an end. We'll probably get at least like four more issues of him being like, all right, I'm almost done packing. Mm Mm-hmm. For a guy with super speed, he moves mighty slow. I know. He's just kind con- of, he's conflicted still, I think. I, I don't know. I think he is, too. I mean, you do get like basically Deathstroke grabs him by the nape of his neck like he's a mother cat picking him up and is like, dude, I thought you were fast. So I think that is perhaps a symptom of him being conflicted still. He just
0: wants to get home to that electric turkey carver and <laughs> be the man of the house. <laughs> oh boy. Where or maybe he, he doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of responsibility, like if I do go
1: back home, I think I am expected to kill my dad. Maybe he had just seen the maximum can,
0: overdrive. There could be only the, one.
1: <laughs> scared, of the, scared of the turkey carver, those are pretty awesome. Have you ever used one copy? Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant VHS copies of maximum overdrive. Oh, those, and are, I was awesome like, yeah, those are pretty awesome.
0: No, the
1: I've never actually used an electric turkey carver, they work pretty great. Yeah, yeah, maybe I should get one. Let me start hunting up to Goodwills. Sure, that's not a phrase, <laughs> it's a movie. Hunting up the Goodwills is a movie. Oh wait, no. Oh, that's, yeah. good.
0: that's a that was a <laughs> that sequel. was the
1: original draft. <laughs> that's that's the Netflix original knockoff. Kids okay, wicked good at math. Love yeah. turkey carvers. It's got by the people that made Transmorphers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This one has Robbie Williams instead of
0: Robin <laughs> <Yeah>. Williams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about Vic's little story arc. He's still being a dick
0: to Sarah. Oh, and we find out. It's totally without cause. I mean, it was without cause. It was without cause
1: anyway, but but also. It's extra without cause. So he's upset that she never told him that she was engaged when they started hanging out and definitely not dating about a year ago. And now we find out that the reason she didn't tell him she was engaged is because she hasn't been engaged. She was proposed to and turned the dude down, at least probably in part, because he likes to wear basketball jerseys over turtlenecks and having both shirts tucked into his pants. This is a bad look. It's the worst look ever. I can't, I'm fixated on his first appearance, and I think we should have known he was a bad guy then. Although, he was a
0: Special Olympiad, not Olympiad, uh... He was a Special Olympics
1: coordinator, and it really feels as though making Mark into a abusive, obsessed dick of an ex-boyfriend is a real retcon. Like, it doesn't seem like that was the original intent with the character. They had been setting him up as a nice guy, and now we are getting a reversal of that, and it is going hard in the other direction. They're like, I'm worried that people will still like Mark after he A, wore a basketball jersey over a turtleneck and tucked both shirts into his pants, and B, was abusive and horrible to Sarah, so let's also make him racist. Mm-hmm. They're really doubling down, and I mean, it works in the sense of, fuck that guy, mm-hmm. although really, as I said, the heavy lifting was already done in his first appearance with his wardrobe choice.
0: Well, it was the 80s when any time you needed to make a bad guy a bad guy, you. I feel like all the movies... I feel like I should be more screwed up than I am from watching all the 80s movies that I saw as a kid where like, well, we need to establish who's the bad guy so he's going to rape everybody and abuse everybody and like do just super bad shit to a degree that it's... To a
1: degree that separates him from the good guys in the movie who are also doing some of that stuff. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Looking at you, Charles Bronson. (laughs) Oh, boy.
1: Yeah, I was thinking of Billy Jack.
0: I never saw that.
1: It sucks. It's a really, really fun movie with a horrific gratuitous and lascivious rape scene Mm. that like takes all of the fun of there being a hippie who lives out in the woods defending a hippie commune using his kung fu and kicking everybody's ass while he talks about pacifism Mm. like super fun premise and really most of it is really fun but then like showgirls brutal Mm. rape scene that is also like kind of lingery in a way that's super gross, mm. and it's like, well, now I can't watch this fun movie and enjoy how bad it is. Boo! Mm-hmm. But yeah, Mark's a dick, but I'm glad he gets kneed in the balls. That's fun. That was awesome. I was I was really happy for Sarah. She tosses him out of his apartment, and then like, so dude got all handsy and like was like, "Damn it, Sarah, you're my property." Basically, mm-hmm. she knees him in the balls, throws him out of the apartment. And then some, like janitor dude, walks by and is like, "Broads, huh?" And Mark's like, "Well, what he says is tough cookie, tough cookie, huh?" And Mark just like says, "Oh, she's not so tough." Super creepy. Super creepy. Which makes me think, God damn it, Vic, pick up the phone. Regardless, Vic, pick up the phone. I was so frustrated with him in this. This is one of those storytelling tropes that always drives me crazy which is all of this can be ironed out by a very brief conversation. And this is also something that Vic specifically has done before with Sarah, where he has issues and he wants to talk with her and then he avoids talking to her. It's really frustrating.
0: Which has kind of been my MO over the years, but it's really annoying to read about other people doing it. Exactly. It's the narcissism
1: of small differences. It's like, so, you are nice. partly annoyed by Vic because you recognize so much of yourself in him. Mm. Uh, Fart Monster ate like half of your body one time. <laughs>
0: that's true. That you was were awful. rebuilt
1: bigger and stronger. Yeah. Um, you're always saying there's no such thing as racism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good athlete. You're a great athlete. <laughs> and a computer person. You're always saying maybe. hmm <laughs> Yeah,
0: a regular cyborg. Yeah,
1: so when you see things in him that you recognize in yourself, you are more frustrated with him. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Deep, uh, man. So who else is left to talk about? We talked about Robin's adventure with Adrian Chase, where they just break into a dude's house. So the one thing that I did enjoy about that story arc is we find out a little bit about the ways that, like, registered vigilantes work in New York City. I guess he has the ability to legally make arrests. Oh, because he's a deputized... He's deputized by the city in some way. Possibly through his work with Batman, possibly through his work with Titans. I don't know what percentage of superheroes have that ability, but I like that there's at least a nod to the idea that, there is a difference between sanctioned superheroes and unsanctioned superheroes, and not everybody can just go around arresting people. Mm-hmm. Which includes district attorneys. But other than that, there's not a ton of Robin development other than him finally getting fed up with Adrian Chase and saying, you're as bad as Batman, which, that's harsh words. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of continuation of the Donna Troy and Terry Long relationship. She says yes, finally. Mm. Reader's Corey is shaking his head sadly at this point. I am (laughs) eavesdropping slightly. Is that what you had written down the word grumble about for your notes?
0: (laughs) No, that, well, it fits. But no, that was a potential sound effect.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs)
0: I thought you wrote down notes <laughs> like,
1: remember to grumble about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Donna decides that she will accept Terry Long's marriage proposal. She goes to tell him that at the fucking ritzy-ass White House-looking community college that, that he teaches a at. Really
0: nice community college. we
1: each spent a little time in community college. Yeah,
0: I gotta say,
1: well, Noma like County that. Community College was not that fancy.
0: No, nor was the Lane County one in Eugene. I, I've spent time in both. You paid your dues. Paid my, yeah, <laughs> it's not like that. The good institution. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's no, no, not, it's I, not appointed fancy. Yeah, no, it wasn't so plush. Right,
1: but uh, good, good for the DC Universe. I'm, I'm glad they have put the money into the infrastructure that community colleges can provide.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's make it
1: free. Yeah. Too. While we're at it. All right. Good job, DCU. Yeah, way to go with your free, lavishly appointed community
0: colleges. I like it.
1: Well done. But what happens in that community college is Terry Long is teaching his class. He dismisses the class. A blonde teenager comes and is like, hey, maybe you could teach me about Greek stuff. (laughs) I mean, pretty much. Yeah, that's true. And he's like, (laughs) and then Donna shows up and... She is wearing the wedding ring, which I guess she accepted previously, but was like, I will put this on when I make my decision. Mm -hmm. And then they go and have a nice chat about how they're going to get married, but she wants some time to try to find her parents. And one of my favorite moments in the comic book happens, which is they are talking about how they want to spend the rest of their lives together. And you see an old couple walk by them looking on and holding hands. I don't know if you noticed. The, they were labeled Romeo and Aurora I on did. their
0: shirts. I had a question that about is
1: That is Romeo Tangal and his wife, Aurora. The inker, I'm sure, wrote that in. It's mm-hmm. like, here's an older couple looking on in love. I'm going to write our names on them because I want us to grow old together.
0: That is very sweet.
1: It was very sweet. Unfortunately, Aurora Tangal passed away in 2004 uh, at the age of 58. So they, oh. they did not get to hmm. grow as old together, but they were were married and very much in love and had a number of children and I thought that was very sweet. Mm. Made me very happy to see that.
0: Indeed, that was nice. Yeah. So
1: here's to you, Romeo and Aurora Tangal. So that kind of wraps up the plot development of our heroes. The other character who we spend a little bit of time with is one of our major villains, Deathstroke the Terminator, who uses ninety percent of his brain and fifty percent of his eyeballs. We learn a little bit more about him. What'd you think of Deathstroke? Oh, he's just a big jerk. He is a big jerk, but I mean, he likes to hang out in a Speedo and a
0: robe. That's true. He likes to drink little glasses of, I don't know, sherry. Yeah, I think he may have just been having a cherry cordial. <laughs> hmm, I think God. that might have been a sherry glass.
1: It's tough to tell. Port- it's it's Yeah, it's one of those fancy glasses that's like the beverage glass equivalent of like a uh, shrimp fork. Where I'm like, <laughs> I know that glass has a very specific purpose, yep. but I forget what it is, and I would probably just do shots out of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a sherry glass. I like that his butlers slash finance guy is named Wintergreen. Wintergreen is rad. He seems pretty cool. Yeah,
1: there's an ongoing Deathstroke the Terminator series right now that's really, really good. Really? that is Yeah, it's written by Christopher Priest, who's one of my favorite writers, and... You should check it out if you'd like to borrow any of the issues, you can. I will. But there is a lot more character development of Wintergreen in that, and it definitely has him as being almost like an Alfred-type character to Deathstroke's Batman, Mm. but also having them be more, like, comrades in arms, and Mm. they they are friends instead of having, like, a father-son-almost relationship like Alfred does. But yeah, no, man, I love Wintergreen. He's got a dapper little mustache. There is a scene where Deathstroke is talking about his plans for the day. And as he is talking about his plans, he is just wearing his robe unbuttoned with a speedo on under it. And Wintergreen walks in with a big box and says, well, then you'll probably be wanting your uniform, yes? Mm -hmm. In my mind, Wintergreen is always walking around with a box full of pants and saying like, and sir, you might want to put these on. No, making everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> and by everyone, I mean me. Yeah, I feel like they are trying to go out of their way to establish Deathstroke as kind of the anti-Batman mm. in this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they are doing an okay job of it. There is a scene where he talks about, like, I would never turn down a job anyway, although the $10,000 is nice. Uh, I mean, you never know when another Chagall will come on the market. It's like, yeah, I get it. You're classy. You like weird paintings of goat faces.
0: I guess that's what they were saying. I was like, why do they feel the need to... That's all I character? can
1: think. It's just like, he's a classy art guy. He likes classy art. Mm. I
0: was like, yeah, I guess Chagall's okay. Sure.
1: I guess it's a sheep face, not a goat face. I, Sorry. I, I, I was I was thinking of Goat Face Killer. My favorite <laughs> member of the Clan. <laughs> One thing I do like about Deathstroke, he's got white hair and he's not dyeing it. I think it's a good classy look for him. He's a mm-hmm. real silver fox. Mm-hmm. I like that in order to kind of accentuate that, he has opted for a white eye patch. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cool look. Don't often see that. Yeah, striking. I think his goatee looks dumb. Yeah. He also self narrates a ton, and a lot of that time is spent on him talking about how good his reflexes are and how fast he is and how nobody but him could do the things that he's doing.
0: Yeah. And if many other bad guys did this, I would think, like, "Oh, this is the perfect show and tell candidate. Like this is just goofy writing. Right. But no, I can see him actually. Yeah being I like, think he does. That. I am quite good.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it is
1: descriptive rather than exposition. Mm-hmm. It is character building. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is annoying. It is annoying as hell. I've stabbed this wall with my sword, amazingly. Only somebody who uses 90% of their brain could have done this flip that I just did. Not bad, me. Mm -hmm. I've now used my amazing reflexes to do an amazing thing that's amazing. 10 points for Slytherin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Indeed. I want to like Deathstroke the Terminator, and I think we're supposed to like him more, but I don't.
0: Nope. Anything else you want to talk about before we get into the minutia? Just to highlight quickly the scene at the end where we have the reveal about Terra. She is drawn really creepily with him, like the shadows on her face and everything. She looks like a creepy monster.
1: Really? Yep. Let me take a look. Was there a page particular you were thinking of? Yes,
0: 21.
1: I noted that panel as well. She looks different in that panel and they pay more attention to the shading on her face, and I think they are trying to make her look older there. But, yeah, you're right, it it does look a little bit off.
0: The following page is creepy, too, in a different way.
1: Yeah, there is some interesting body language going on between Deathstroke and Terra. Although I do like that she is somehow spinning around her domino mask on one finger. I Mm. don't know how she does that. My suspicion is that... She left a little bit of sand and dirt caked on the outside of it, so that she can actually use her powers to do that. Because otherwise, I don't think you can twirl a piece of fabric like that. Can be done. Yeah, so clever of her. Mm-hmm. Well, Rick, would you like to sing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey. What was your favorite sound effect in this issue?
0: Despite my great distaste for Adrian Chase, one of my favorite sound effects is the sound that him pistol whipping a bad guy makes, which is kank. (laughs) I like that too. It seemed like totally not an appropriate sound effect.
1: No, but I really liked that. And I like the idea that after knocking somebody out and having it make a kank noise when he pistol whips him, he would call the resulting wound a kanker sore.
0: (laughs) So
1: I liked that too. My favorite sound effect is another one where I don't know how this would make that noise, but it delighted me that it did. And it is when Sarah Sims knees Mark in the balls and it makes a noise, fam.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll keep him from having more fam. Yep. That that
0: was and good.
1: Because fuck that guy. So yeah, that was a combination of me liking what was happening in the panel, which is dude getting kneed in the balls and Sarah Sims taking control of the situation. And also... That is a weird sound effect that that would make, and I kind of enjoy that because it made me think about the scene more, and I like thinking about the scene because fuck Mark. Agreed.
0: Any other sound effect thoughts? Well, there was the aforementioned (laughs) grumble. What was grumble from? Grumble was from page 19. Oh, is that when
1: Terra is making the ground move to make an earth fist to grab Deathstroke? Yes, it is. That was pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. Grumble is a good sound effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially because you can look at that scene and it says grumble and it is Deathstroke looking over his shoulder kind of annoyed as he is holding an unconscious kid flash in his hands. And so it could just look like he's super annoyed with Wally. And it's just mm.
0: Yeah, grumble. So that's
1: fun too. There is also a really good blammo of Terra shattering the earth from all around her. I had that written down as, as well. That was pretty fun. But yeah, I'm still going with fam. Okay. Kank so, and a fan. So famine kank. Sartorially speaking, what fashion choices in this
0: issue do you feel are worthy of note? So, in the aforementioned one of your favorite things that happened, Mark getting a knee to the balls, uh Sarah Sims looks very 80s in her black and white getup.
1: Yeah, she is wearing white short shorts and uh black
0: top. Yep, yeah, and uh extremely feathered hair.
1: Yeah, that is a good look. Um, we have a number of fashion choices made by Slade Wilson, Deathstroke, both in and out of character as Deathstroke. We talked about his aforementioned Speedo and robe, mm-hmm. the white eye patch, the mm-hmm. shitty goatee. In his Deathstroke costume, I love his incredibly impractical boots. They have this giant swashbuckler cuff on his boots that is really, really cool and really dumb looking, but in a way that I love. I like
0: his costume. It's it's come up before. and
1: His costume is great. In general, his fashion choices, both in and out of costume, are awesome. Mm-hmm. There is a really fun panel that is a close-up of his face, where the half of his face that is orange is really expressive, and then the other half of the panel is just entirely black. And it's really, it's just cool looking. Mm-hmm. But my favorite fashion choice that is made in this issue is made by a character who gets a fair amount of screen time despite not having a name in the issue, which is Stockbroker Guy. Stockbroker Guy is wearing a very stylish bright green suit, Mm -hmm. which are apparently very in vogue in the DC Universe, not just by Adrian Chase. Mm -hmm. But my favorite choice that he also made is he is also wearing bright green shoes, So it is a fully matching suit. I really appreciate the attention to matching that is paid by this nameless stockbroker man. I myself have a, I haven't worn it in quite some time, far too long really, but a yellow track suit that has matching yellow sneakers. Hmm. And I feel like if I put that on and hung out with that stockbroker guy, Mm -hmm. we'd probably have a pretty good time. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So nice work, anonymous stockbroker who is Almost certainly going to be murdered by Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. Well done. In this issue, did you have a timestamp? I did. I had on page 12. Uh, I know what you're talking about. It is Beast Boy describing the relationship between Victor and Sarah Sims. That's right. And he describes them as recently having been... Tighter than Charo's pants. Yes. Well done. A out-of-date timestamp, because I'm pretty sure I always associate Charo with the late 70s way more than mm-hmm. the 80s. I think by 83, she wasn't getting a lot of TV time, mm-hmm. but good call. Charles rad. Mm-hmm. Very talented musician. I wouldn't know. Well, now you do. Thank you. I had the same timestamp written down, although in a vaguer sense, the inclusion of a character who is a stockbroker. Seems very early 80s to me. I feel like you never hear about that as a thing that a person is anymore. And I feel like if you needed a profession for somebody in the 80s and you were writing something, Stockbroker would have been like in the top four for like wealthy character. Mm -hmm. He's a Mm stockbroker. You ever see the movie Quicksilver?
0: Kevin Bacon Bicycle Messenger movie? Yes. It's been a long time.
1: He started off as a stockbroker, but then he became a bike messenger. And there's a scene where he does a bike dance that is very similar to the scene in... Breaking 2? No, I wish. Ah, no. It's very similar to the scene in Footloose where he oh. dances around the barn for no reason. But he bike dances around a warehouse for no reason. Oh. It's pretty great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Paul Rodriguez plays a hot dog vendor in it. Famed 80s comedian Paul Rodriguez. Good to very know. Very charming.
0: Good to also know.
1: early role by Lawrence Fishburne. Hmm. Plays a rival bike messenger who gets murdered. Because he was deliver, he was using his bike messenger skills for evil oh. to deliver drugs. Eighties drugs were the worst; <laughs> <laughs> they were so bad. In the I 80s. know, man. It's hard to get your hands on them these days. Mm. You gotta get some of those eighties <laughs> drugs. Yeah. What what would be an eighties drug? Oh, oh just... I, no,
0: just like Nancy Reagan's, like like marijuana. Oh vocabulary. man, I would
1: love to get my hands on some of Nancy Reagan's eighties drugs.
0: Yeah. yeah, the good stuff.
1: Yeah, 80s drugs are just cocaine mostly, aren't they?
0: That was the big one. Yeah.
1: Don't do cocaine.
0: If you do cocaine, don't, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good PSA. Thanks. It's expensive. <laughs> and you'll annoy the shit out of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, if you're on cocaine, here's a tip. People didn't necessarily not laugh at your joke because they didn't hear it. Mm. You don't need to keep just repeating it. That's a good tip. Thank you. You're welcome. Also don't, man. Mm. It's no good. No good. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get all political there. Whoa. Corey. Yeah? Let's take this party out of the political arena and okay. into the zone. In this issue, what instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you think... Uh oh. Do you think
0: <laughs>
1: Do you Oh boy, do you think it's worthy of our attention?
0: Yes. On page eleven we had a natural double bozo, plural bozo. Bozos Bozos. Yeah. From Tara. Yeah. Tara calls the other
1: titans a bunch of bozos. And she's not wrong. Yeah, we got a natural bozo. My finger slipped the first time. Sorry, oh, and okay. I just couldn't stop.
0: <laughs> it's a special thing. Though. It's a heady addiction. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is on page 11, and Tara says, Okay, you got one week. If you bozos don't think I'm good enough to be a Titan, then I walk. Maybe the JLA will hire
0: me. Maybe so. Maybe not.
1: Tara is one of like five characters who gets a mebby in this There's episode. There's a lot of mebbies. There is Victor says a mebby. Adrian Chase says a bunch of mebbies. Tara says a bunch of mebbies. Scarpelli I think, throws a couple of mebbies in. It's mebbies all the way down. It's a weird word. I don't know who decided that that was a slang thing that everybody used and everybody said all the time. I've never heard it. I've never heard a mebby. Mm-mm. Mebby, bebby. That would be a good
0: song into DCU. Maybe it would. What was your favorite panel? I really liked the birthday party panel when they brought out the cake and everybody was singing. It was really sweet. Yeah. I liked that too.
1: I also just, in terms of panels that warmed my heart, the the elderly couple that was labeled Romeo and Aurora was incredibly sweet and I really liked that. But I think I'm going to have to go with a panel that cracked me up. Hmm. which is Tara deciding to do a move called the double axe handle (laughs) on the back of Beast Boy's head. I thought you might like that. What really makes the move to me, though, is that as she does it, she says, I've been looking for a way to prove myself. (laughs) Then she whacks Beast Boy on the back of the head, cold cocks him, knocks him out with both fists clenched in a captain kirk style judo chop or to the world of professional wrestling it would be called a double axe handle Mm -hmm. i love the idea that she was thinking at the time i really want the other titans to accept me the best response i've ever gotten to them was in the last issue when i punched beast boy in the face Mm -hmm. so maybe if
0: i just keep punching beast boy then they'll let me be a full titan yep it was it was fun to read that
1: yeah, and that was the way that I read that. And so then she, after he was out, then she was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go beat up Deathstroke too. Between fighting Deathstroke and beating up Beast Boy again, the Titans are sure to accept me now. Indeed. It was also a really well-drawn panel. I mean, really, they pretty much all are in
0: this issue. But yeah, it cracked me up. Did you have any other... I had one other backup one on page sixteen. I called it Terra Hands, and it's when she's summoning the earth to do her thing, and it looks super badass. It
1: always looks badass when she does that. Yeah, the the fist made out of dirt grabbing somebody mm-hmm. is one of the coolest moves in super heroics. I am a fan. Good stuff, man. Indeed. Corey, in this issue. Who was your Aqualad? Who is the best of Teen Titans? And conversely, who was your Speedy,
0: the worst of Teen Titans? Is it illegal to pick somebody who is not a Teen Titan? As the best? I really liked it when Sarah Sims need Mark in the ball, so I, I wanted to vote for her. But I have a Teen Titan backup I can use. Corey? Mm-hmm. I'll allow it. But you'd better be going somewhere with this. That's all I got. It's just... Okay. Yeah. I'll allow a big, it. Yeah, I, I get you. She beat him up and threw him out of her apartment. It was
1: badass, so good for her. Mine is also a little bit of a stretch. I went with Terra.
0: What?
1: How? She is a Teen Titan. She has officially been accepted into the group at this point, And she was the most effective. She was the Titan who acted the most effectively and furthered her goals the most and did what she was trying to do the best. I mean, what she was doing was gaining the trust and acceptance and in, in
0: service to betraying the Teen Titans, but... She did a really good job. So, on the other side of the coin, depending on how you read these categories, the best of Teen Titans, the worst of Teen Titans, who hurt the Teen Titans the most in this issue, Uh. my nod goes to Terra. Okay, I think that is also a fair choice. She was effective, no doubt, but Mm -hmm. in a bad way. And bad meaning bad.
1: Not bad meaning good? No. That is? Yeah, I think that is also a fair choice. I had a couple, I had a tough time deciding between Robin for just, granted, I know in 1983 Law & Order technically hadn't been out yet, (laughs) but I feel like he has been around law enforcement enough to know that maybe me and this heavily armed district attorney breaking into a mobster's house is a little shady. Mm. And I feel like he should have known that. And he does finally figure that out at the end of the issue. But come on, Robin, don't be such a dummy. Day late,
0: dollar short.
1: The other one that I was considering was Cyborg for not picking up the goddamn phone, especially when you consider he's probably got a phone in his arm. It wouldn't be a big effort. No. So they both did a bad job. I'm going to go with Cyborg. Mm. So he's the speedy. Tough but fair. Thank you. I believe all that leaves us with, Corey... Is a very important question that I have to ask of you, Corey. Wapoot! Ah, indeed. indeed. In the year of our Lord, 1983, mm-hmm. and the month of our Lord, August, mm-hmm.
0: what is Aqualad probably up to? Well, we've discussed before Aqualad is a fan of music. hmm. All sorts. Sure. Likes the rock music. Likes the bookie Got into a little little bit of the harder stuff, the heavier stuff mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s. So actually he and, and Tula. Oh, Aqua Girl. Aqua Girl had put on their civilian duds, as it were, and, and decided to have a night out on the town. So they went out to snuck in somehow. Fake IDs. Not really sure. Doesn't seem very lawful. But they got into CBGB's to see the Ramones. Nice. And so he had he had met through some other crime caper that we can't get into now because we don't have the time. Joey oh, Ramon. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Strange. Small world. Anyway, so yeah. they met. They had a good time. They were partying after crime the show. Crime fighting makes odd bedfellows. Indeed. I've always said that. Yeah. Yeah. So after the show, late night, you know, they're they're just good kids. Like they're yeah. they're, they're drinking water. The staying, are I, just good kids. I, no. Oh, OK. <laughs> no, no, no. tula. Oh, um, right. Drinking water
1: once an hour. Once Got an it. hour,
0: you know, staying hydrated, staying away from the booze. Mm-hmm. And they decide to, to walk Joey back to his apartment. And there was a guy, Seth Macklin, goes by the name of, which we know from his police records later on. Oh. Was just like harassing Tula.
1: Not, That's cool. not cool.
0: Not cool at all. And Aqualad with the C strength and legs was about to do something about it, but Joey Ramon had of had some the old uh, Dutch courage. Oh boy. And decided to try and stop Seth himself. Oh no. And uh, this resulted in a fight that went on until about three, four o'clock in the morning in front of his apartment. And it did not go well for him. He got his ass handed to him, which actually culminated with him getting kicked in the head. Oh, no. Which required brain surgery. Aqualad, of course, as soon as it started to go south, tried to jump in, wasn't quite fast enough, took care of Seth. All that you don't read in the police reports. But anyway, where we find ourselves in... August of nineteen eighty three is a very nervous Aqualad waiting outside of the ER in the waiting room along with Tula for his buddy Joey Ramon to get out of surgery. Oh boy for a fight that he didn't break up early enough. Poor fella. I know, that was rough. Yeah. Wow. He had an interesting
1: month that month. Hmm. Aqualad's month started off with him chatting with his buddy Wong.
0: <laughs> Did you discussed... screw up again?
1: No, no, I didn't screw up this time. <laughs> honest, honest. But during his conversations with Wong, in previous months, when I did screw up, Aqualad learned that Canada is a terrifying lawless land. <laughs> what? Because in the Marvel Universe, Canada is rough company, dude. Oh, weird
0: shit does happen. Yeah,
1: man, you got your Wendigos running around yeah. all over the goddamn place. Future gets nuked to hell, but you get they have a weird dark shadow government, which is where, where Wolverine and Deadpool end up getting formed by... Department X Mm -hmm. or Department H, I forget which.
0: Mm.
1: Different Mm letters. But yeah, so Aqualad's like, I better head up to Canada myself and see if things are really that bad. But being a clever Aqualad, he didn't go without backup. He brought his good friend, Beaky. Oh, good. So Aqualad and Beaky get up to Canada and find that in their universe, much as in ours, Canada's pretty chill. So they had a pretty good time they decide to take in a baseball game. Oh, no. (laughs) I know where this is going. So, they decide to attend a game between the Toronto Blue Jays, because, you know, Beaky likes a bird-themed team. Sure. And the New York Yankees. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, during the fifth inning of that game, Dave Winfield's out, warming up, playing some catch with one of his uh, Yankee buddies, and Beaky was like, I want to get a better view of this game. And so he calls to one of his seagull buddies to come up and uh, give him the scoop on whether it's safe if they slide down to some lower seats that uh, some, maybe some season ticket holders didn't show up to. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to get better seats at a ball game. I've done that a few times. Good to know. But unfortunately, when Beaky called that seagull forward, the seagull ended up getting in the path of Dave Winfield's ball. Oh, no. Not again. And that bird did not make it out okay. Unlike the Randy Johnson incident, though, charges were filed. Aqualad was like, oh, hell no. I was told that Canada was a fucked up place, but I didn't believe it. I'm calling the cops. And the police were called. They ended up arresting Dave Winfield for animal abuse uh, because they did not believe that it was an accident. They thought that he had intentionally harmed that seagull and killed it. Mm. And... I mean, he was a Yankee. <laughs> so there's a pretty good chance. It's possible he, yeah. So the charges were eventually dropped, but Dave Winfield was arrested. And that, in August of 1983, is what Aqualad was probably up to. Oh,
0: bad call, buddy.
1: Thanks for joining us, listeners. <laughs> Birds and balls don't mix. Exactly. If, you, if there is one takeaway from this show that you have learned, is that if you are a bird... Don't Stay go to the ball out game. of ballparks. Don't do it. It's There's better ways to win. I know you think there's hot dogs, there's popcorn, there's peanuts, maybe some Cracker Jacks. But you know what else there is? Hot, steaming death. The risk is too high, birds. Not worth it, birds. Stay out of ballparks. Too high. Yeah. Makes me want to go to a ballgame. Because I'm scared of birds. <laughs> maybe they'll steer clear. Yeah, <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. This was a lot of fun. Corey, we have a couple of big drunken episodes coming up ahead of us. Oh, shit. Next week, we will be reading Giant Size Defenders number two. I will endeavor to find the correct number of Manhattans for a giant size issue of a comic book. Four, we have... is... Four is maybe too many. Too many. <laughs> Three was also a lot, <laughs> still too
0: much. Two seems like it won't be enough. Maybe two regular-sized ones and a wee one. So maybe we'll try two and a half? Yeah. Isn't that a movie? Two and a half? Yeah, two and a half. Manhattans. Two
1: and a half Manhattans. And one of them is a cop. I think that was the <laughs> name of the movie. Okay. The other one is Burt Reynolds. And then the third's just a regular Manhattan.
0: Okay. I like it. Yeah. We'll name them after that. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> uh, or three Manhattans and a baby Manhattan. <laughs>
0: Still too many. Oh god, but I want one of them to be a Steve Gutenberg. Can't really make a Virgin Manhattan.
1: No, well, uh, it's not possible. That would just be vermouth, and that still <laughs> that's, that's, has moose. This not possible. Huh? I guess a Virgin Manhattan would just be a, a Amarano cherry.
0: You're the barman, not
1: me. Yeah, that's what I just said, though. Oh, okay, I, I mean, but that's I guess the bitters, just cherry and a. Bitters? Yeah. All right. Here's your shot. Really want, I'll, I'll try making them smaller, but I really want it to be the three Manhattans and a baby. Okay. So, yeah, we'll try, uh, we'll have a Ted Danson, a Steve Gutenberg, and a Tom Selleck. God help us. Uh, and then the following week, we are going to delve into New Teen Titans Annual number 2. Another big one. Another big one, and one that I think will require some beverage accompaniment. But I hope you will join us for those. In the meantime, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. I love to hear from you guys. I've gotten some great letters from you recently, and I enjoy them all. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or what, what's another podcast machine, app, location?
0: That's, uh, those are all words. I Thank don't, you. Don't, you're welcome. What did you, which ones that you said, iTunes and Stitcher? Yeah. Those are the two that I know of. There's the probably
1: most. um it's probably one called like the Podfather.
0: Oh.
1: Um and probably uh the Pod Squad. Mm. And that's probably one. hmm So yeah, leave us reviews at all of those places, please. And if you would like to leave us some money, please do so at patreon.com slash Wasteland. For all your giving us money needs. Gotta pay for those Manhattan somehow. I mean, right now I've got enough for a Tom Selleck and a Ted Danson,
0: but who's going to fund Steve?
1: All right, we will see you soon. And don't worry, as promised, next episode, we will be goofier. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Man, Steve Gutenberg's don't grow on trees. Mm. Got to get the goods. <laughs>